What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The fundamentals are there for inflation, I think, for a while. We don't necessarily need free money and zero interest rates forever. Washington at this point doesn't want to add regulation to Bitcoin. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Let's look at the student loan debt, which is absolutely staggering. In my view, you can't spend enough on infrastructure. Given the size of fiscal stimulus we've already seen, this seems like a drop in the bucket. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where the conversation over infrastructure, the budget, reconciliation is evolving. Changing before our eyes, we'll bring you the latest from the White House and from Capitol Hill with help from Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins. Been talking with lawmakers since President Biden clarified his remarks about the legislative strategy behind infrastructure and we're going to be talking about that with a former Republican governor of Pennsylvania. Mark Schweiker will be here as well. Congressman John Garamendi, a Democrat from California, and will assemble the panel for perspectives on the way forward. How far we have come since last week. With President Biden clarifying remarks on infrastructure legislation to make clear that he was not threatening to veto the very bipartisan bill that he was championing without the human infrastructure legislation that is set to move through reconciliation. At least that's the plan. Now, some lawmakers, especially Republican senators who helped to negotiate the bipartisan deal, felt a bit blindsided when they learned the two pieces would have to move together. That was followed by the clarifying statement. And now, have they decoupled? White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was repeatedly asked about this by reporters today. If that was the case, here's a little taste. Does President Biden intend to tell congressional leaders what to do on this matter? Well, first, let me just reiterate, uh, the president looks forward to signing each bill. Did the president earlier miscommunicate or did Senate Republicans simply misunderstand on the infrastructure deal? Well, I will say, uh, Major, that I think that the statement was quite lengthy and quite detailed in the in the president's name. If the infrastructure bill reaches his desk and it comes alone, he will sign it. Is that an accurate reading of that statement from the president? The president looks forward to and expects to sign each piece of legislation into law. This went over and over and over and followed comments from Mitch McConnell earlier in the day. The minority leader spoke from his home state of Kentucky about this. What I did this morning is to call on the president to ask the majority leader and the speaker to, to deal with these issues separately. None of the Republicans during the negotiations and the Democrats that were in that group talked about it being linked to anything else. We're joined now by Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins been covering this very closely for us. Welcome back, Emily. It's great to have you. Great to be here. Good to kick off the week. Yeah, well, you know, what we're starting it a little bit differently than we ended it. Things have changed since we spoke when the bipartisan deal was announced last week. You were with us that day. A couple of big exceptions 
of things that haven't changed here. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Are they President Biden's biggest problem right now? So I think right now, President Biden, this is everything we've seen in the last 72 hours. I think just goes to show you exactly how complicated it is to get this bill through, even after President Biden says that he has this agreement with senators, like how tenuous things are. I mean, let's be clear. It was never a big secret that Democrats were planning this dual track operation with the bipartisan infrastructure bill in one lane and then the Democrat-backed reconciliation package in the other lane. It initially seemed like after Biden went ahead and clarified that he wasn't going to issue a, a veto threat to the bipartisan bill. You heard from senators like Mitt Romney, who said, you know what, his Biden statement called the waters. People are still on board. Everything's going to be fine. And now today you're seeing Mitch McConnell go ahead and say, well, it's great that Biden said that. But what about Pelosi? What about Chuck Schumer? At the same point, McConnell can say that, but at the same point, Pelosi and Schumer have to deal with their own realities. And the reality is is that Democrats do not have a lot of seats to lose. And progressive members have come out and said, look, we are worried that if we vote for just this bipartisan infrastructure plan and there's no reconciliation, that reconciliation won't get done, that you won't see moderates like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Senma go ahead and do it. And they've said, you know, we've asked, hey, is it is it enough that they just promise to do it? And they say no. They actually need a bill. They need something they can sign. They want that guarantee and that reassurance. And for progressives, the way they see it is that it's the midterms on the line, that if Democrats don't go big and don't deliver, then they have zero chance of keeping the House in 2022, already a very difficult task. So I think at this point, we're just sort of seeing the difficulty of holding everyone together, trying to hold those Senate Republicans together while you hold those progressives in the House and in the Senate. And I think to a certain extent, I mean, look, you did see Mitch McConnell come out today and make this request of Pelosi and Schumer to clarify that they would decouple like Biden would decouple. But at the same point, you know, McConnell hasn't come out and opposed this bipartisan deal. He said that he would like something to get done. So I think at this point, everyone's trying to feel out exactly how much they can push on various pieces and how much leverage they have in this overall debate. Boy, great job putting that all together. Bloomberg government correspondent Emily Wilkins, we thank you as ever for helping to kick off the program here. That should give you a sense of where we are here. And we want to get out of Washington for just a moment. And talk with Mark Schweiker, the former governor of Pennsylvania, for a bit of a different view on this debate. Governor, it's great to have you on Bloomberg Sound On. Thanks, Joe. And I think what was raised is just the difficulty uh, and the inability for horse trading to pay off very quickly, even with the president's backing and even with this so-called arrangement or understanding with uh, leading members of the Senate, particularly uh, Senator McConnell out of Kentucky. So. He's try- the president, I'm sure, is trying to hold it together. I think he's dealing with a resistant, progressive wing of the membership, particularly in the House. And I think they've got to ask themselves, uh, you know, do they want to jeopardize the tremendous economic reward that comes from, you know, pothole-free highways uh, and, and interstates that help uh, uh, economic success and jobs and paychecks for the motorists and the residents uh, over this unconventional soft program aspect uh, relative to the American Families Plan. So, you know, at some point, they've always got to be adults and and make the decision because the conventional infrastructure plan generates tremendous reward. And I say that as as the the governor, former governor of a state where we've got more highway and mercadum and concrete out there 
than all the New England states combined, plus New York. So it's got a lot to do with our economic performance as the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And I would suggest that all members of the House and the Senate, particularly the progressives, realized that over the years that infrastructure support has generated tremendous goodwill and economic success for our country. Well, that's okay. So we're starting off with with some news here. As a Republican, then, as a Republican former governor, you like the bipartisan deal as it as it's written, so to speak. What what we know is inside that package. You're not prepared to have that debate about human infrastructure. Is that fair? Well, I, I, I'd like to discuss it categorically. No question in my mind that the federal role in infrastructure is right up there with you know, the, the efficacy of the Social Security program started decades ago, up there with the establishment of the EPA and a, a, a cleaner environment. These are success stories for the federal government. It's the same for in, conventional infrastructure. So mm-hmm. I, I, as I see it, 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 in the short term, let's get that done. But relative to the soft programming and, you know, relative to child care, as an example, Joe, or pre-K education, which, you know, these programmatically – are winners for America's children. But we've never had this situation where, uh, you know, the soft program, the, 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 the human infrastructure was combined with the concrete infrastructure. And I think at, at some point, in order to, to, to get that concrete uh, rebuilding effort underway on a massive scale, get that done and then go back categorically uh, with or without reconciliation to get uh, some of those programs launched because they do make sense. Well, that's important. As we speak with the former governor of Pennsylvania, Mark Schweiker, a Republican, there are elements in the human infrastructure bill. You mentioned child care that you believe would help to get people back to work. Well, I don't think there is anyone among us who didn't lament uh, just the large number of women over the last year and a half who lost their jobs at greater rates than men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in part because, you know, of the you, whether stereotypical or not, uh, the idea that women have a greater burden when it comes to caring for children in a family. And so they had to leave the workplace. And we made we made tremendous gains in the last 30 years on that front. So it, it, in my mind, and, and, I, and if I had to rank order, Joe, and I, and I want to get past the straight talk test here, <laughs> you know, it, in my mind, uh, you know, pre-K education. Uh, has tremendous academic reward and helps bring down costs at later grades in any public school system. So in my mind, I'd love to see, uh, you know, a, a pilot uh, financial version of that launched. And secondly, would be a broader child care commitment, but not where the federal government creates all of the uh, the, the programmatic uh, components that must be and standards that must be met. I see more of a grant program where the states can customize based on what they want to do for either of those two programs. Well, this is illuminating. I can hear where you're going here. And as a Republican, you're open to some of these ideas. It sounds to me like you're you're not happy with the process in which uh, this through which this is happening or the size of that bill, the, the dollar sign. We only have 30 seconds well, left here, Governor. Take them one at a time is your point. Sure. So I. That's right, Joe. I, I, w- I would say, you know, w- let's be plain spoken and sequential about this if, if necessary. No, no one, even the progressives, question the, the economic uh, and community virtue of a concrete infrastructure bill. Sure. 
uh, whether or not you want to jeopardize that whole shooting match and helping Americans get back on the highway to economic prosperity because that ownership has been shut down. That's what this infrastructure bill means. Get that done and, and go to the human segment uh, right, down the road. Governor, former governor of Pennsylvania, Mark Schweiker, many thanks for being with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, thank you for joining us as we dig deeper into the infrastructure debate and spend some time with a Democratic member of Congress who will be featured prominently in that debate as a member of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, along with four Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittees. Could be a heck of a summer for John Garamendi of California. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Delighted to be with you. Looking To start off, would you vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill as it is standing now? Is there enough from what you understand for your district? The, the correct elements are in it, and the money is in the range of okay. Mm -hmm. uh, do we need a little more here, a little more there? Probably so. What I like to do is to start at the bottom. How much money do we need for rural broadband and urban broadband? How much money do we need for bridges, uh, sanitation, water uh, over the next five years? And well, how much can you also spend uh, wisely over that period of time? That gives you a number, and then you add all those up, and you get the top line. But it's very, very much in the range what we've been talking about for some time, particularly when you add the new money to the existing program. So the answer, uh, as far as the numbers are concerned, yes, I would vote for it. There's been a lot of talk about climate change uh, with regard to the reconciliation bill with the, the overall budget structure here. And I know that we've been back and forth with what order they might come in and whether one is tied to the other. But should that, as, as a congressman from California, with, with your own challenges, specific challenges in your state, are you looking for more money on climate change through reconciliation? Well, actually, there's a great deal of money in the proposal that Biden and the senators worked out. Right. Not exactly sure what the language is and how that money would be distributed. But you take a look at it, electric buses, transit, uh, EV, electric vehicle infrastructure. Those are the really big ones. Also, uh, you have to have in that, and I suspect it will be, and that is the grid system to support all of that. So there is actually the foundation for those programs. Now, with regard to the way in which you generate the electricity, mm -hmm. um, wind turbines, uh, solar, those, build, those programs are still in place, although we can certainly use more in that regard. We also need to take a very big leap into energy storage systems. And there are a multitude of energy storage systems. There are all kinds of batteries that people are talking about. They do have challenges. You've got to find the rare earth minerals form, and they are toxic. So those have to be dealt with along the way, which brings us to all of this is going to require a domestic production of these facilities. We've got to make it in America. We're going to have to open our own uh, rare earth mines, which we actually have, but most of which start up and then shut down when China uh, does some rather aggressive undercutting the prices and uh, forces the mines into bankruptcy. But nonetheless, we can provide uh, domestically many of the materials that we need for these uh, energy systems. This is great because it gives us a, a real sense. It gives our listeners a real sense of the conversations that are had 
and the priorities that different lawmakers are bringing from their respective states, from their districts. Mm -hmm. And everyone has a different idea. Of course, they, they, they often overlap, but we're talking specifically about what your needs are. Backing yep. off to the broad debate now, and of course, as I mentioned, you're going to be talking about this a lot on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. A number of your colleagues were, were apparently on their heels over the weekend, concerned about the tie, the, the sort of coupling uh, with this reconciliation bill. Are you worried that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party will not be on board now? I'm going to put it this way. There's a term that I heard out of the California farm workers 40 years ago. Okay. It's called si se puede. Yes, we can. We're going to get this done. Uh, there'll be compromises. There'll be some things that uh, I'll be less than happy with. In fact, I'll be just plain angry about a few things. But we got to, we've got to move this thing forward. I can't get everything I want. Often there's two words. My wife says this. Patty says this all the time. John, there's need to and nice to. What do you need to have and what would be nice to have? Mm -hmm. So we got to go through this thing. But you talked about what we have to have. There's one of this, and this, we're absolutely delighted the Senate was to do this. We couldn't get it in the House, and that is Western water storage. We got one serious drought going in the West, and water storage, not on the rivers, but off-river water storage and the aquifer programs, critically important. Uh, with regard to the reconciliation bill, that's what we call soft infrastructure, critically necessary. At some point, uh, the members of Congress, uh, liberal, conservative, progressive, whatever, are going to realize, oh, my God, where are the workers? Where are the trained workers? we got to have a job training program. Yeah, you're right, we do. And that's part of the soft infrastructure that Biden talked about five months ago. Uh, so those kinds of things are there. Also, Biden talked about um, research. you got to be competitive with China. you got to have a research the Senate did something brilliant, which for those of us in the health think is rather unusual, but nonetheless, they did a brilliant thing. They passed a quarter of a trillion dollar comp a bill to compete with China. Why they not go back and, and debate these? I hate to interrupt you, uh, Congressman. We only have yeah. a moment left. Why not go back and debate these items, child care, expansion of Medicare, one by one, instead of putting it into this massive reconciliation plan? Because it won't pass. It's going That's to have to be answer. in the reconciliation tent. You got you got to do it in reconciliation. It can be done. The other part of it is that the I'm sorry, uh, the we're out of time, Congressman. I hate to do that okay. to you, but that's a reality check. That's a reality check from Congressman John Garamendi, a member of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. That's the Democratic view. We've been hearing a lot about how the sausage is made recently from. Certainly the White House press secretary even referring to that with all the backroom drama surrounding infrastructure. That was the story today. Every reporter in the briefing room asking about decoupling. Did the president mean it when he said it? What does this mean now for infrastructure? What about reconciliation after the president issued his clarifying statements over the weekend? Press Secretary Jen Psaki interested today in making this about process. I know that we're quite focused sometimes on process in here. I understand that. The, the process of a bill becoming a law is important, but the president intends to sign both pieces of legislation into law. Okay. Might need to rewrite Schoolhouse Rock here. But what about Nancy Pelosi? This was the Speaker of the House, as you heard here on Bloomberg Radio on Thursday. There ain't going to be an infrastructure bill unless we have the reconciliation bill passed by the United States Senate. 
We're joined now by the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno. And today we're also joined by John Sidalides, geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors and diplomacy consultant for the State Department. It is great to have both of you with us. And John, welcome to the mix. Thanks for having me, Jim. About this whole process here. Is that good strategy for the White House? Make it about process. Say you guys are focused on all the wrong stuff here. We're doing great things for the American people. Just check back in a couple of minutes. Well, first of all, I think what we have here now is a colossal crisis of mistrust in Washington, D.C. I think the Republicans that cut the deal with the president last week feel that they were betrayed. I think the larger Republican caucus feels that it was a waste of time meeting with the president if there's going to be this demand that there's going to be two pieces of legislation, because all that means for the Republicans is that the president gets their buy-in on what everyone agrees is basic infrastructure necessity for the United States, and then they can go ahead and pass a multi-trillion dollar families plan and a series of other non-physical infrastructure measures and get everything they wanted without ever having to make to make a serious concession to the Republicans. So Mm -hmm. that's the trust problem in Washington. But I think also nationally, Joe, I think the Biden administration is facing a huge risk here because I think there really hasn't been a debate about what constitutes infrastructure and the White House and the Senate and House Democrats seem to have expanded the definition of infrastructure to things that no one really considered to be infrastructure before 2021, like elder care and workforce development and the like. Mm-hmm. And so I think most Americans really don't see eye to eye with Democrats on this debate right now. It's going to be a very interesting public engagement by Democrats and Republicans of the American people in the weeks ahead. Jeannie Sheehan, say no, let's talk about trust for a minute. Happy Monday, by the way. President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, how much trust will there be? After everything that happened over the weekend, it's pretty hard to find any sunlight inside those comments from Nancy Pelosi. It's good to talk to you, Joe. You know, as you and and everybody in Washington is using this word decoupling, it is fascinating to me because, you know, to my mind, this was really an unforced error made by Joe Biden when he got out ahead of himself. You know, a little bit it reminded me of George W. Bush with Mission Accomplished. You never claim Mission Accomplished when you're not done. And I know he wants to say he did something we all thought he couldn't do, I among them, is he got a bipartisan agreement. But the fact is, it was an agreement. It is fraught with problems. You've got to push the ball through the end zone or whatever that sport analogy is. Don't ask me. But you've got to get it through before you celebrate it. And I think that was the error he made. They tried to walk it back this weekend. I thought Mitt Romney, Rob Portman, other Republicans accepted that, you know, decoupling, if you will, um, you know, sort of elegantly over the weekend. But we've got to see what happens as we go forward. But I do think this was Joe Biden getting out ahead of himself, which on the one hand, Joe Biden likes to talk. So that's not surprising. On the other hand, he is a master legislator. So the fact that he allowed himself to get out ahead with his, you know, comments on the tarmac Mm -hmm. uh, late last week, as you talked about them was really quite an error and they knew they made it and they've tried to force it back now not making a lot of friends here the other big uh, item that was in the air in the white house briefing room today something i want to ask you both about and that was the administration's defense of airstrikes airstrikes on iran-backed militias in iraq and syria the secretary of state anthony blinken in rome today says it sends a clear and unambiguous deterrent message 
saying that I hope very much it is received by those who are intended to receive it. John, you've spent a lot of time in geopolitics. What is the White House getting into here? Is this the beginning of something? I don't think it's the beginning of anything, Joe. I would think, if anything, it's a continuation of sound U.S. policy of forward defense, especially because there have been 40, 40 attacks by Iranian proxies in Iraq against American forces and against American assets in this year alone. You know, we still have 2,500 troops in Iraq battling against the Islamic State. And so the Iranians feel that they can attack the U.S. with impunity. And one might say that these strikes against these Iranian proxies are overdue. And hopefully we'll send a very strong message back to the Iranians that their attacks on U.S. forces and U.S. assets will be met with force. And also to send a very strong signal to Tehran so that they don't have the misimpression that they're dealing with a weak administration in the context of the JCPOA nuclear development, the nuclear weapons agreement. Well, that's where I was going to go with you, Jeannie. Does this make it more difficult to have the U.S. back in the Iran nuclear deal? I don't think so, actually. I think that the Biden administration, I think Anthony Blinken, have tried to be very cautious in terms of their response. And I think we saw that, although he's getting criticism from the progressive left on this. So he's got to be careful there as well. Markets, headlines and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Lots of after the bell headlines involving bank stocks. Wells Fargo plans to increase its third quarter dividend to 20 cents a share from 10 cents, subject to board approval in July. It's also planning about 18 billion in buybacks. Morgan Stanley doubling its quarterly dividend and announced as much as 12 billion in buybacks. It was the first of the biggest American banks to respond to their success in clearing this year's stress tests. Goldman Sachs boosting its quarterly payout 60% to $2 a share. And J.P. Morgan Chase says it's raising its dividend to a dollar from 90 cents. Kathy Wood's ARK Investment Management has filed to list a Bitcoin exchange-traded product, the latest company to throw its hat into the crypto fund ring. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ mixed day there. Records though for the S&P and NASDAQ, also the NASDAQ 100 index. The Dow dropped 150 points, down four tenths of 1%. S&P up nine, a gain of two-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 140, up 1%. NASDAQ 100 index up 1.25%. Ten-year yield 1.47%. Gold at 17.78 the ounce. West Texas intermediate crude down 1.5%. 72.91 a barrel. Recapping, stocks at a record. Facebook has won dismissal of the state's monopoly lawsuits. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. How many people were in your office today? Were you in the office today? Or are you still working from home? The banking giant UBS says yes to both. As I read from the Bloomberg Terminal, UBS Group will permanently allow as many as two-thirds of its employees to mix working at home and the office, right? The hybrid model, and that's at odds with some of its competitors, 
which appears to be the point. We're joined now by Bloomberg Political News Director Jody Schneider, who helped to spearhead our COVID coverage throughout the pandemic here at Bloomberg. A bit of an expert on this. Jody, it's great to have you back. Reaction to it. This is a new wrinkle. A major banking group going hybrid. Yeah, it's really interesting because we've sort of seen people be across the board on this. Uh, Goldman Sachs and some of the other uh, big financial firms, particularly those uh, that are here in New York, have uh, gone ahead and said, we expect you back. Um, you know, it may be we may give you a little more time. Uh, we may give you some flexibility. But for the most part, we want you in the office. Uh, so this is interesting for a banking company to say we're going to have this hybrid model. We've been hearing that more from uh, technology companies so far mm -hmm. like Apple and Google and others who have, you know, really tried to promote that flexibility, partly because they fear of losing some workers who maybe will say, hey, I've enjoyed working at home yeah. uh, and it may be hard to fill those kinds of positions. But this is the first big bank to say we're staying hybrid. But you just put your finger on it, right? This is this is seeking a recruitment edge. We, we've got a worker shortage. Some people are just not comfortable coming back. UBS sees this as a way to attract more talent, right? Right. And, it, you know, the proof is in the pudding with so many things, right? Hybrid is going to be hard. There's lots of questions. What does hybrid mean? Uh, what if someone uh, doesn't really want to come in sometimes? Does it mean some people never come in? How do you get teams to work together? How do you do onboarding? That's been a big uh, point with some of the companies like Goldman who've said we want people back. They say you need that corporate culture, uh, you know, explained to you. You need to see it. Also, how do you meet with clients? Clients. Where do you meet with clients? Mm -hmm. uh, do you get paid less if you are in a lower tax, lower uh, cost city? Should you get a New York salary if you're in Nebraska, uh, even if you're doing the same role? So there's lots and lots of questions. And one of the things we're finding overall is that returning to the office uh, is proving as complicated as sending everybody home was, <laughs> that this road to recovery is bumpy and complicated, Boy, both in returning true. to the office and in figuring out uh, COVID recovery. Yeah. And Jody, this story comes against the backdrop of some tough headlines today that the news has been very inconsistent when it comes to the reopening, the recovery. We're seeing uh, some some concerning numbers of the Delta variant in California, a, a real surge in cases. Hong Kong, meanwhile, says it's going to shut down flights from London when restrictions begin to lift there. The world is not recovering at an even pace. And I wonder with what you know about this and what you've reported, when you see concerns like this coming out of California, a lot of concerns about the new variant, whether the reopening could be in jeopardy later this year. Well, a lot of it has, to, it's, it's two things, right? It's um, these cases and how many cases there are and the Delta variant, of course, is what is um, causing the surge. We're seeing in California now, we're, yeah. we've seen it in Missouri in the US, but it's also vaccination rates. Uh, the U.S. is doing quite well overall because of, you know, 66 percent of the population now has had at least one uh, dose of the vaccine, which is pretty high. It's not as high as the Biden administration had set their goal of 70 percent 
by uh, this weekend, by July 4th, but it's still very good, especially on the world stage. So while that Delta variant uh, is concerning, you're still seeing many fewer cases, hospitalizations, and deaths uh, due to the Delta variant than you are, say, in the UK. The UK just reported today 23,000 new cases, mm-hmm. the most since January 30th, even though they're their death rate has remained uh, fairly low, but a lot of that is also because their uh, vaccination rate is not as high as in the U.S. Then you look at India, where this Delta variant first started with a low vaccination rate and and pretty much isolated from other countries, and of course the situation there is much more dire. Jody Schneider is political news director at Bloomberg. It's great to have you back, Jody, and thank you for bringing us up to eight, uh, up to date on all of this. I want to assemble the panel once again so we can talk this out with. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and John Sidalides, geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors, diplomacy consultant for the State Department. Jeannie, we've talked about the reopening, the concerns about this, the White House missing its self-declared goal uh, for vaccinations. There's going to be a big party at the White House in about a week. The 4th of July is coming up. Is the timing on that a little bit off or are they doing the right thing to show that this is possible for people who are vaccinated. You know, I I think you can't begrudge the Biden administration how well they have done in handling the pandemic in a very short period of time. And yes, they're going to miss, as they have acknowledged, this goal the president set forth. I think the first one, by my estimation, they're missing, but they're going to get to it soon after. Mm -hmm. So I think they are trying to put a positive spin, even though they're missing this deadline. I don't think it's a big deal. I think they get high numbers. And I think what you and Joe we're just talking about as these banks and other financial institutions and other institutions come out is just fascinating. One big issue I see with young people is concerns about socialization. If, if you are in a hybrid environment starting a job, can you truly be socialized? So, so much of what you and Jody just talked about is, I think, are things, as, as Jody accurately said, it's as hard, if not harder, to bring people back than it yeah. was to get them out. So it's just fascinating to see how institutions are handling this. The 4th of July party came up today in the White House press briefing. A reporter asked, not unlike I just did, is this a little early? Here's Press Secretary Jen Psaki. We, of course, will continue to evaluate any steps that need to be uh, taken to protect the public, protect the American people. Uh, But we have made uh, significant progress um, and we are confident in our plans moving forward for July 4th. John Sidalides, there are concerns about people gathering around the country. You You can step away from the White House for a second, but also concerns about the reopening. When we walk into fall, cooler weather arrives. This whole infrastructure debate uh, could be sidelined by a very different conversation. How concerned are you? Well, it could be sidelined, Joe, and it may not be. I mean, I think the Biden administration has set some very ambitious goals and uh, laying out a top-down agenda. But I think in many ways, the American people and small businesses are ahead of the government on this. And I think that we have to be mindful that there are never perfect solutions, even to a crisis like the COVID pandemic and uh, even worse, the lockdowns that we imposed as a result of the pandemic. But there are only trade-offs. And as Gene made a point about socialization problems, there are a whole host of other attendant issues which have to be incorporated into any national COVID strategy. And it can't be simply about whether or not we're masking, we're social distancing, as if there are no costs involved with any of those activities. So 
very difficult task for the president and for governors around the country. We've had a lot of mistakes. We've learned a lot of lessons. But I don't think it's wise today to predict what might be happening in September or in December or next year. Uh, we may have to learn to live with COVID. And the question becomes, how do we balance the risk of transmission of COVID on a relatively low level with the need for the American economy and American society to become robust once again? Yeah. Well, and I, we certainly don't want to try to predict anything in this case, John. I just wonder if some people, uh, and there are different groups here, some folks are, are still very worried and don't want to go back mm-hmm. to work. There are a lot of people who think, you know what, we already recovered from COVID, John, that's over. Well, I understand that concern. Uh, I also understand the concerns of business leaders, corporate leaders, civic leaders. We have to try to find a balance, and I don't think there's a single answer to provide an all-purpose solution. This is going to be operating at many different levels of an enormous and very complex American society. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of looking to the White House for the single solution. And I don't mean this White House, I mean any White House, Mm -hmm. to a national concern. And I think in many ways we leave it to the American people, to the states, to governors, and to different parts of the country, and to different companies to find different ways to balance out what they think works best at local and regional levels than a one-size-fits-all solution out of the White House. That's John Sidalides, geopolitical strategist at Trilogy Advisors, diplomacy consultant for the State Department and Always great to have a foreign look with John when we're talking about foreign policy. Jeannie Sheehan Zeno, our Bloomberg Politics contributor, we thank you both as always. And thanks to Jody Schneider for talking with us today on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll get back to this again tomorrow. Schoolhouse Rock still playing in our heads as we get a sense of where the infrastructure debate is going. We'll have a lot more to follow. Stay here. Traffic and news headlines straight ahead. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.